Welcome to the Cambridge Judge Business School Podcast Centre. Both David Cameron and, more recently, in his State of the Nation address, Barack Obama, have pinned their colours to the mast of innovation as the way in which to reinvigorate the British and American economies. Michael Kitson of the Cambridge Judge Business School agrees that innovation can stimulate an economy, and in his paper, The Economics of Austerity, he examines the importance of innovation alongside research and development. The short-term impact of the financial crisis and the recession will be manifest in the future with fewer innovations, lower levels of economic growth and subsequently reduced prosperity. The macroeconomist champions the idea of open innovation, greater sharing of ideas and what he calls the co-production of knowledge in an innovation ecosystem. He says that innovation can help economies, but not overnight. Innovation will help, but it will help in 10, 15, 20 years' time. It's not going to help our politicians get re-elected in terms of this impact on economic growth. I think there's two important observations to mention about innovation policy. First of all, the policy itself tends to lag behind developments in the economy and developments in innovation itself. So often innovation policy now is rooted in the fact that many advanced economies used to be manufacturing economies, were largely now service-based economies. The second thing is what policymakers like is simplicity, simple levers. If we pull a simple lever, we can generate an impact. If I can pull an innovation lever, I'll have economic growth. And often the innovation lever looked at is research and development. If we can help increase research and development by companies, that will increase economic growth. Now, it is just more complicated than that. First of all, many innovative firms don't do R&D. R&D is often focused in the manufacturing sector and not in the service sector. Service sectors are innovative But they're not doing it through R&D, they're doing it through other ways, through training, business practices, acquiring external knowledge. So R&D isn't a simple proxy for innovation. And secondly, as we just pointed out, innovation itself will take a long term to have an impact on economic growth. So just subsidising R&D may not be the best policy to maximise innovation and maximise economic growth in the future. Are we then in a way, backing the wrong horse, depending on innovation to get us out of a recession and government cutbacks? Ultimately, we need to be backing lots of horses rather than one. Just backing the R&D horse isn't going to be sufficient because that's only supporting some parts of the economy, not the whole raft of the economy in terms of innovation and innovation broadly defined, new products, new processes and new business practices. The second problem here is that to generate innovation and long-term growth, you require investment. And often a lot of that investment requires public sector investment. And, of course, the main preoccupation at the moment is government expenditure cuts. So we're going to see, you know, where many of our advanced countries are actually looking at increasing public sector investment. In the UK, we're actually decreasing public sector investment. That may help to hit budget targets over the next few years. But the longer term impact is going to be felt in 10, 15 and 20 years time. As you say, R&D, innovation, they require money. Where can you see that money coming from? Again, it's not a simple argument about money and where the money comes from. Certainly, we require more R&D as part of the innovation story, but it's not the only aspect. We need to encourage firms to invest in new business practices and processes. The most effective way in terms of generating a more innovative economy is the movement of ideas. 
the movement of ideas between businesses, the movement of ideas between universities and businesses, the movement of ideas across boundaries, both physical boundaries, structural boundaries, geographical boundaries, national boundaries. The movement of ideas, the movement of people is very important. That sometimes does require investment. It requires investment in either infrastructure or institutions or people that can manage relationships. Sometimes we call them boundary spanners. But people who can can manage relationships between individuals, between groups and between different parts of the economy. That requires some investment in people and some investment in institutions. But it's very often very difficult for businesses to invest in those skills. And it's often very difficult for individual parts of the economy to invest in those skills. So it does require some public sector intervention, which requires some public sector investment. But it's not about giving grants. It's not about giving subsidies. It's about creating the right institutional structure that facilitates the movement of ideas. And the most effective way of moving ideas is the movement of people and interactions between people. Actually, innovation is very much a contact sport. Let me just go back to that point and and kind of round it off a little bit more. If banks are risk-averse, where will the funds for innovation come from? In the short term at the moment, banks are very risk-averse because of the legacy of the financial crisis. So there is a real problem for investment in high-risk activities. We can see that in in the Cambridge area where we are at the moment, where many small, high-technology firms, in in terms of their early stages of development, are having problems raising finance. What we would hope is in the longer run... Banks will be able to become less risk-averse, be able to spread their risk through a portfolio of investments and generate more funds for innovation. But there's an important point here. Private sector firms or private sector banks will fund innovations where they will get a rate of return to the financial institution and to the company, sometimes called the private rate of return, higher profits or whatever. But, of course, we've got to bear in mind as many innovations generate what they call a social rate of return, a benefit not only to the individual firm or the bank, but also to society in general, in terms of the quality of life, better technology, better infrastructure, and so on. Often education generates not only a return to the student or to the university, but a return to society by having a more qualified workforce. Where there is a social rate of return, there is an argument that the public sector should help to support innovation in those areas. Is there a danger then, are you saying, that innovation could be stifled? Innovation is being stifled as we speak, and we've seen that in previous downturns. What basically happens is that when we have a downturn, the financial sector rushes to safety. It becomes even more risk-adverse. And ultimately, we've seen that in downturns, and we've seen that in, in the UK going back to soon after the Industrial Revolution. This isn't a recent phenomenon. It's a long-term phenomenon about being very risk-adverse, particularly when the economy has a downturn. And what that basically means is that there's a rush away from High-risk innovations, innovations are long-term from market, innovations are very costly. Well, let's think about drug development. Around about 15 or 16 years on average to develop a drug, about a billion dollars to do it, do so, most drugs will fail. It's very high-risk, long-term, very expensive. These sorts of firms in biotechnology and drug development are having real problems if they're in the early stages of their life cycle in generating money. They won't be able to generate revenues from the longer term. They won't be able to borrow now. Many of these firms will go out of business. What do we see now? We'll see very little impact, a small rise in unemployment, a small decline in economic activity. What we'll see in 10 or 15 years' time is that these developments will never come on stream or they'll come on stream somewhere else. The short-term impact of the financial crisis and the recession will be seen in the longer term 
in 10, 15 and 20 years' time by fewer innovations and, and lower levels of economic growth. Are we on the point of plunging into an innovation black hole? I think certainly what we will see is uh, more difficult conditions for innovations that are a long way from market that require significant finance. Uh, so what we'll see is, is an impact on long-term economic growth. So that the impact will be on lower levels of prosperity in 20 or 30 years' time. Uh, so if, if not a black hole, what we're seeing is a slower rate of growth of the economy in the longer run because of a lack of innovation today. The answer to all of this, surely, is just putting more money into R&D. R&D laboratories are concentrated in manufacturing and concentrated in high-technology manufacturing. So R&D tends to take place in certain parts of the economy. It takes place in pharmaceuticals, aerospace, certain sectors of high-technology manufacturing. We lump in R&D, research and development. Okay, many of these R&D laboratories are doing the D part, the development, and not the R part, the research. Often research takes place elsewhere, particularly in universities or other public research institutes. Many other parts of the economy, services and other conventional manufacturing, can be innovative and are innovative, but they're not doing R&D. They're doing it through other ways, requiring external knowledge, through training, through developing business practices and so on. So R&D is only one part of the innovative picture. The other point to mention is that, of course, most ideas do not take place within one firm. Okay, most ideas are taking place outside the business or outside the firm. So there has been a shift away from the notion of closed innovation taking place within corporate laboratories to the notion of open innovation, where ideas are moving in and out of businesses and in and out of universities and in and out of other institutions. So much greater sharing of ideas or movement of ideas and the co-production of knowledge. So we're moving much more away from the idea of everything takes place in a corporate laboratory to thinking much more about an innovation ecosystem where ideas are moving around that system. This is one of your very strong messages, isn't it? That openness and connectivity should be fostered, should be encouraged, and that the policy should focus on building networks and, and knowledge exchange. It, it is about the movement of ideas and the movement of people, to thinking much more about creating connectivity and innovation communities where knowledge can be shared, ideas can be transferred, and people, the movement of people across boundaries can improve ideas. Now, I'm not denying there's challenges in doing that. You have to create the right institutional structure, you have to create the right incentives for partners, and there's no, there's no doubt that some businesses, some, some institutions are very protective of their intellectual property, only willing to share some ideas. But if you can create the right sort of infrastructure, you can create very innovative structures, innovative ecosystems, and innovative places. Increasingly, you've got to remember, innovation does take place within geographical concentrations. There are places that are better at generating ideas and other places that are better at absorbing ideas. And we need to create the right structures to ensure that that happens. Michael Kitson, thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced by the Cambridge Judge Business School. 